and your friends. I am not very good at buying vehicles. When I came back from China, in China a lot of people drive various scooters and other kinds of motorcycles and mopeds and all that kind of stuff and I'd always kind of wanted to get into the scooter world anyway so when I came back from China I just had to get myself a little motorcycle but I didn't have a motorcycle license yet so I bought a scooter and I was a cheap seminary student so I didn't buy a nice European one I bought a cheap Chinese knockoff which I thought was, okay, fine, this should be okay. I just need it for a couple years. First time I needed a part, I called the local scooter shop. The guy says, yeah, oh, what is that brand? Nope, I don't do anything Chinese knockoff. Click. And I called him back and I said, I don't need you to fix it. I'll fix it. Just help me get the part. I don't do anything Chinese knockoff. Click. I said, okay. That was my first poor car purchase or vehicle purchase. Then I got my motorcycle license. I bought myself a Suzuki GS850, nice bike. It was like an early 80s though. thought, a lot of people drive old bikes. It'll be okay. I don't know if I didn't ask enough questions or what, but the thing was practically a lemon. I spent 500 bucks on it. You think, okay, it's that cheap. Yeah, what do you expect, right? But after spending like $1,500 keeping it fixed up, it never ran right. The, the, you had to rev the engine always just to even get it to idle. And then I, four years later, I sold it for another 500 bucks. Fine. My worst purchase was uh, during seminary. It was time to try to find an, a, a family car or a more family sedan. So uh, we bought a Buick Century. I did research, bought a Buick Century. Now, many of you are going to know right away, because you're car people, the problem there. GM, 3.1 engines between what? The, like the late 90s and the mid 2000s or whatever. They all had problems with head gaskets. The head gaskets would break down because of the dex cool. And the dex cool leaked into the engines. And you could tell this was happening when you would pull your oil cap off and it was filled with what? that orange cream, right? That was your oil and your Dexcool mixing. Now, maybe you didn't ever have that problem because it didn't happen until the gaskets broke down. That was like 125,000 miles. But I was a cheap seminary student, so I could only buy like a $1,200 car. Guess how many miles it had? I bought the car, and I would say within, I don't know, it was like less than a year, my, my oil cap was filled with that orange-white cream. I took it into the shop, they said, well... A new engine costs XYZ, costs us about 1200 bucks though to flush your engine entirely. We'll pull it all apart, scratch it all off, clean it all up, flush it, put it back together. <sighs> I had to pay my $1,200 and get my engine flushed. I keep having these, not huge, right, but kind of small crises in life because I just don't ask enough questions I'm sure all of you who are car people knew GM engines that year, those years, they all had, that was 3.1, all had bad gaskets. You knew to ask the question and you knew not to buy the car. I did not want to ask the questions, what are the problems with these cars? And I then got myself into this pit. Now, it's not a solve, unsolvable problem. But frankly, there are lots of times in life where we don't ask the question and we do get ourselves into huge problems, don't we? If I go to this party, what's going to end up happening in my life? If I start living with somebody, 
What is likely going to happen with the rest of my days? If I go to this college and I get this degree, what are the most likely paths for me in the future? We just don't ask the questions, right? We tell ourselves things like, ignorance is bliss, and what you don't know can't hurt you, and don't ask the questions unless you want to know the answers. The truth is, is most of the time, if you ask the questions, it is going to hurt, right? And you really ought to, though, ask the questions because ignorance is not bliss. We've got one of those crises this morning in this lesson. We see here that they ask questions, and because they ask questions, they get clarity, and so they avoid a crisis. And we're looking particularly at this man named Nicodemus. Did you check out his story? John chapter 7, if you have one of these pew Bibles there, these white and blue Bibles, you can find it on page 867. Speaking of these Bibles, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you know, you're certainly welcome to, to take one of these home. They are here for you, for your use. Just take it. If you know somebody in your life who needs a Bible, give it away to them. We're a church, right? We're here for passing out the God, Word of God. Take it, give it away, it'll be okay. We'll find another place to get a a Bible. Love having these there and available for you to use. 867, did you hear the end of the lesson? A man named Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? He was the guy who visited Jesus. We heard about it a few weeks ago at the end of the night. Nicodemus visited Jesus. But then do you hear what, do you know what happened with Nicodemus at the end of his life? Nicodemus was the man who helped Joseph take down Jesus' body. Because Nicodemus asked these questions today, he ended up not being one of the guys who killed Jesus. He ended up being one of the guys who helped Jesus. He asked questions, and he got clear. And that's what we need to do today. We need to ask these questions and get clear. If you read through this section, John chapter 7, John chapter 8, this is one of the largest sections in Scripture where people debate who Jesus is. If you read through the whole section here, you can see all of these alternatives they say about Jesus. Verse 12, they say he is a good man. Verse 13, they say he's a deceiver. Verse 20, they say he is demon-possessed. Verse 40, they say he is the prophet. And verse 41, they say he's the Messiah. That's a lot of things, right? And how do they sort through that all? They ask questions. If by my count, I counted through these verses, I think there's 13 questions in this one chapter that people ask about Jesus. 13 questions. That's a lot of questions. Today we want to do the same thing. We want to ask questions and get clarity. Now, the lesson starts, verse 1, verse 2 here. Jesus' brothers tell Jesus, go to Judea. No one, wants you to, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. No one wants to become a public figure acts in secret. They don't understand Jesus, do they? They think that he wants to be some kind of superstar. Some kind of big name guy who walks around in public. This supposedly is going to take place at this Jewish festival called the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tabernacles. What happened is Jews from all over the world traveled to Jerusalem, they put up little tents or booths outside the city. On the first day and the eighth day they rested, and for seven days they lived in these little tents. Kind of like camping, 
but not nice camping. <laughs> this was an ideal time for all of the people to see who Jesus was, supposedly. And yet, they did not understand Jesus. They had the wrong assumption about him, and, and so they were wrong. Do people still make bad assumptions about Jesus? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. All the time. And frankly, even do we don't. We don't understand. We don't see him correctly. One of the biggest assumptions that still bothers or shows up for people today, and this is kind of a technical, but I'm, let me show you then what it means practically, is a division between what we call the historical Jesus and the Christ of faith. The historical Jesus and the Christ of faith. So, what does that mean? Well, many times when people read the Bible, they say, this is a Jesus I see in the Bible. But that Jesus doesn't match what people at church tell me. You know, I got people at church telling me Jesus was this savior of the world. He was the redeemer. He rose from the dead. But then they read these stories, like today, and they say, everybody argued about Jesus. They debated him. He doesn't seem like a savior. He doesn't seem like a redeemer. There's no talk of forgiveness of sins here. He seems like a simple historical, controversial figure. That's the debate that we call the historical Jesus versus the Christ of faith. Now, you might say, how does that matter? Do I fall into this trap? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard that Jesus had brothers? I just heard it from somebody the other day. They said, I didn't know Jesus had brothers. If you don't know that Jesus had, had brothers, perhaps it's, it's just ignorance, but the historical Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the real person, he had brothers. They were probably half-brothers, but he had brothers. Hmm, if you didn't know that, do we know the Jesus of the Bible about Or another example, how do you answer the question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? If your first answer to that question is something like, well, he died for our sins, that's a good answer. That's definitely a Bible answer. That's true. But that's a, a religious answer. Do you hear that? It, it's a spiritual answer. It's a, we'd say, the Christ of faith answer. Historically, what's the reason that Jesus died? Two things. The Jews killed him for blasphemy. The Romans killed him for treason. Okay? That's a, a historical answer. They're both true. He died for treason. He died for blasphemy. He also died, we would say, because of our sins. One, one way that I think to think about this, can you put up the, the next picture there for us? When you look at this picture, how many of you see a young lady looking away? You know, you can put up your hand if you want, all right? Now, how many see it, of you see an old lady looking down? Okay, some of you. The truth is, is both are in the picture, aren't they? This is a classic optical illusion. Jesus is both a historical figure and he is a person of faith. Is there a division between the two? Is there a separation? No. He's one complete image. And friends, if we don't know both sides of the picture, if we can't answer the whole picture, we don't know Jesus as he is. You know, what's, what's my name? My name is Nathaniel Timmerman. 
What is your name? Your name is Bob Smith. Your name is Jane Friedman. Your name is Arvilla Hervinan. Right? My name is not Nathaniel. If you only know Nathaniel, you don't know the whole Nathaniel. If you only know me as Timmerman, you don't know the whole Timmerman. If you only know Jane, you don't know the whole Jane. If you only know Smith, you don't know the whole Jane Smith. You only know pieces. And the same thing is true with the Bible. You and I, we have to take Jesus as he is, all of him, and ask whatever the hard questions there that we have to deal with. Now, sometimes that means we, we have things that we don't like, isn't it? Sometimes we have to deal with realities that we don't enjoy. When you read through this section, you can see the Jewish people had a lot of problems with Jesus, didn't they? They had a ton of questions and problems and issues. But what they could not get away with is just ignoring it. They had to ask the questions. Friends, do you ask these questions? Sometimes I, I talk to people, and there are certain people, especially uh, perhaps those who are learning about the Christian faith, who ask lots of questions. They're filled with, with questions about religion. Why does God allow all these bad things to happen in the world? How could a good God allow so much suffering? Why did Jesus have to get put to death? Could there really be a God in a world that has so many problems? Isn't evolution the natural way to explain it? They ask all of those questions. But one of the things I, I find, and maybe you found this too, is that a lot of us, we stop asking questions as the years go by. And, and is that really wise? Have, have we forgotten Jesus as he really is? He is a controversial figure. Because life is full of all of these challenges. One of the one of the things that I've enjoyed doing over the last uh, few years, I've been reading through this one book. It's called 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. And, and she points out how so many people have questions about Christ. And I wonder how many of these you could answer. Questions like, aren't we better off without religion? You ever wonder that? You just try to answer the question? Maybe the world would be a better place if we got rid of religion. There's a lot of people who ask that question. Or doesn't Christianity crush diversity? Doesn't Christianity turn all of society into one monolithic group? How can you say there's only one true faith? Doesn't religion hinder morality? Doesn't religion cause violence? How can you take the Bible literally? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? Doesn't the Bible condone slavery? How could a loving God allow so much suffering? And how could a loving God send people to hell? That's just 12 questions. How many of those would you answer? Do you have an answer for those? You know, I would, I would suggest to you that those are, are the questions that the people around us, our friends, our neighbors, and probably even people here, are asking. And you should answer them. We should all think about an answer for them. We should all be able to ask and answer those at least a little bit. Those are the questions that people ask about Jesus. Don't be afraid of asking those. 
There's a reason that Jesus asks all these questions at the festival of tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what happened at the Feast of Tabernacles? Like I said, people brought their tents, they camped out, little booths outside the city. Now, I bet a lot of you like camping. How many of you like camping? Okay. How many of you like real camping? Like sleep on the ground, no padding, sand and dirt everywhere, no hot showers. No, you don't like real camping, do you? I get it. I like climbing too. <laughs> Obviously the Jews, when they camped, they did not glam. They camped. They camped to remember that they passed through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. What was the tabernacle for on that journey? The tabernacle provided them with a central site that formed a safe base for the community. The tabernacle was the place where they could worship, but it was also the central gathering place of the community. It was the place that you could get away from the snakes and all of the poisonous animals and all of the scorpions and everything else that got you in the desert. The whole community camped around the tabernacle so that you could hide at the tabernacle and be safe. It was the safe place. And friends, Jesus is at this Feast of Tabernacles so that he can stand there and say, I am the true tabernacle. Just think about one example from his life. The night that Jesus is betrayed, the people come to him, the, the uh, soldiers and the chief priests, they come to him in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane. They want to arrest him. They come up and Jesus asks them, who do you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says back, I am he. And then he says, if it's me you want, let the other guys go. Now, I, I would ask you, first of all, I don't know how many of you have been arrested, but when the cops come looking for you, the first thing most people do not do is say, it's me, take me, I hope you can arrest me. Most people don't do that. But secondly, for sure, what anybody does not do is to say, let these other guys go, get them out of here, it'll be okay. That's a rare thing. What Jesus did on the night he's betrayed, not by orderly soldiers, not by good cops, but by a mob, an angry mob, is stand up and defend the safety of his people. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus comes to save the lost. He's not coming to save people who know the way through life know how to stay safe and know how to get to the right place. He's coming to save people and protect people who are living in a world that is filled with poisonous snakes, scorpions, the hot blazing sand of the desert, and no running water. He's coming to be your safe tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? He's coming for people who are lost. You know, I would like life very often to look like my Google Maps on my phone, you know? Big wide highways with Google saying very nicely, go this way, turn right, and then you'll arrive at your destination. And wouldn't it be great, actually no, but wouldn't it be great if you and I could start out our days at 21 and 
19 and say, I know exactly where I'm going and I know exactly how I will get there. There won't be any bumps in the road. There's not going to be any danger. And by the time I hit 82, I can take it easy. I'll fall asleep someday and I'll get taken right out of this life. That's not how it works, is it? We think we've got the plan all worked out and our loved ones die at 32. We think we've got the plan all figured out. We know every step and we lose our job when they're 37 and we can't find another one. We think we've got the plan all worked out and our kids have learning disabilities and our community is falling apart and we can't afford our house payments anymore. We've got a tabernacle. We've got a central safe place. We've got a guy who was arrested and he still told the soldiers, let everybody else go. That's what you've got. That's what I have. A safe place for the lost. What do we do with this? Follow the paths of your life to Christ. Ask all of the questions you want because you can be sure that you will get clarity. It may not be an easy journey to walk, but you have a safe place that will get you there. There's a famous story told by Charles Spurgeon. There was a guy who preached at his church one time, and he was a young guy. He did a, a very thoughtful and charismatic sermon. Everybody supposedly loved it. And the guy came up to Spurgeon afterwards, and he said, What do you think about my sermon? Wasn't it awesome? And Spurgeon said, No, I didn't like it one bit. And the guy said, What do you mean I didn't, didn't like it one bit? And he said, Well, you didn't get to Christ. You didn't take us home to Christ. And the guy said, well, but it was, it was not a lesson about Jesus. We didn't hear a thing about Jesus in the whole lesson. And Spurgeon said back to the guy, well, my old man, you live in England. What's the big city in England? London. From wherever you are in England, can you get to London? Do all roads eventually lead to London? And he said, yes. And if you are trapped in a field way out in Edinburgh, can you get to London? Well, sure, you might have to jump over some bushes and some shrubs, and you might have to walk down some winding paths and some back dark alleys, but you can get to London. And he said, so young man, if London is the center of everything, how come you didn't get us to London? And he said, isn't Jesus the center of the, all of the Bible? Can't you be confident that every path leads to him? Yes. Then get us to London. I don't care how far you are away. I don't care how many bushes and shrubs and paths you have to get over. Get us to London. Friends, be confident that every path, every question in your life will get you to London. It will get you to Christ. And maybe the way is not clear. Maybe the, the path is not easy. There might be poisonous snakes. There might be scorpions along the way. You might have to face sickness and death and job loss and housing expenses that are crushing you and food that you can't afford. Ask the questions. It's okay. Ask the questions. Those questions will give you clarity. You will get to London. You will get to Christ. Ask the questions to get you to Christ. And you'll avoid that crisis. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made sure every path, every path along the way gets us to Christ. And sometimes the path is not easy. Sometimes the way that we have to walk is filled with dangers and troubles and trials and struggles. But we are confident that every path will get us to you. We can ask the questions. 
And we won't walk away from our faith. We won't walk away from the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We'll just find a new way to you. So lead us, Lord. Be that tabernacle. Be that safe place along our way that we might get to you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.